Hi everyone! How are you? Michelle Ferreri here, Member of Parliament for Peterborough Kawartha on our third episode of People Before Politics. Now, the premise behind this was to really learn more about the people, who they are, what shaped their lived experience in their life to make them uh, conservative or to sit where they sit on the political spectrum. So we get to learn more about who they are because I think so often people forget that elected officials and politicians are in fact people. <laughs> and uh, it was our lived experiences that usually drove us to to run for politics. So this week, very excited to have Scott Aitchison join us. Scott is the Member of Parliament for Perry Sound, Muskoka. Yes. He's also the Shadow Minister for Housing, critic, huge, huge file. Um, we sit on the HUMA or HUMA, however you want to, I, there's the tomato, yeah. tomato <laughs> um, committee. And, uh, you know, I've been really vocal with about housing and you've done amazing work. Scott and I also share the same problem of people love to call you Scott Atchison. That's one of the many variations. Yeah, yeah. I get Michelle Farrar. We have yeah, this yeah, yeah, last yeah. name that people yeah. love to don't, sort don't of... don't really know how to pronounce the yeah, last name. Yeah, but names. it is yeah. Atchison. It, well, I'm told it's Atchison, but, you know, my family told me that. But there are some old folks around Huntsville that tell me I don't know how to pronounce my last name. But <laughs> I'm running with Atchison. So. I, I usually answer yeah, to pretty much yeah, most me things, too. right? Me We're too. both pretty chill about it. Scott was one of the very first people I met actually when I got elected and you may not know this but you were the first member of parliament office I was ever in. Oh. It was Melissa Lansman and I came to your office That's right. that night That's before right. we had went to uh, I think it was an election for caucus chair Right. and we came to your office and uh, you just had a really chill vibe, very Good. chill um, approachable vibe and Sort of really, and then you introduced me to my favorite red wine as well. Just oh, so you know, you've had one? a lot of impacts on my <laughs> life, Scott. <laughs> important ones too. A red wine, a good red wine is important. Yes, yeah. What was the red wine? I don't remember. We it went to the parliamentary dining room. That's right. And it was, uh, room, it was yeah. from um, British Columbia, but it was yeah, it an was, Okanagan red. It was lovely. It was, lovely. It was a lovely, lovely. We'll have to go back. So Scott and I have had lots of great conversations, and obviously many of you may know Scott ran for leader in the leadership race as well. But today, before we get into that, I want to talk about you because you have a very interesting, as every member does, right. story. Um, you were raised Jehovah Witness. Yes. Yeah. Born and raised. Where were you raised? Where, where in Huntsville. Grow? So I'm from Huntsville. Uh, my family has been in the Muskoka area, Brunel Township, which is now part of Huntsville, uh, since the 1870s. They were among the very first recipients of uh, the 200-acre land grants in Muskoka after the Robinson-Huron uh, Treaty was uh, sort of signed. They doled out some land. And, and so my, uh, my family arrived. Um, in 1871 <laughs> by train and boat and stagecoach and, and then a trail from the village of Port Sydney up uh, uh, up into Brunel Township where their, la where their land was. And they of course had to, you know, clear uh, about seven acres within two years and farm it to keep it. And, uh, and my great-grandmother actually had uh, written, a written her book about all of this stuff. And one of the things that she wrote about was that first experience because it was, of course, her grandmother that lived this experience, mm. and she told her the stories, and um, I realized, uh, you know, my, my ancestors are far more rugged than I could ever be. Right. But they did it, and of course they tried to farm, and as everybody knows, Muskoka, it's all rock, so farming was not a successful venture in Muskoka, but they, but they were able to survive, and, uh, and my family has been, uh, has been there ever since, and so uh, that's where I'm from. And Yes, raised Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, I never knew that until yeah. you ran for leadership. I yeah. never knew that about you. Yeah, I left, um, 
I was fairly stubborn, though, and was convinced that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses did not have the uh, the lock on truth and were the only ones that were uh, that were right, uh, and felt that I should really have the opportunity to explore other belief systems, uh, particularly with a claim like that. Um, and so, uh, you know, th thus ensued many, many difficult arguments and debates in, in our household, um, and to the point where uh, it got to a point, actually, in the, in the, in the I guess it was November, um, and I was about 15 years old, and my dad finally sat me down and said, listen, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to argue anymore about this. I, you Your know, dad you, said this. Yeah, my dad. He said, you know, you you know, we, we, you got to come to the church with us, you got to this, you got to that, this is my house. Uh, you have to accept that as long as you live in my house, you have to live by my rules. Mm -hmm. And I and I remember very clearly saying, yeah, you know what, that that makes sense. I, I agree, that is fair. I agree with that. And uh, I said, so I'll, so I'll leave. And he thought, oh, okay. This was a Thursday night <clears throat> after a particularly difficult argument that night. You didn't see night. that coming. And, uh, and I said, I'll leave. And, uh, and he just said, okay, go to bed, you know, it, we'll talk in the morning. And I went to school uh, the next morning, and uh, that, that Thursday night was the last night I ever slept in their house. I left home. Where did you go at 15? Well, I, I, I'm an amazing family. I knew them a little bit, um, mostly their oldest son, Mike Coop. Um, uh, they, uh, I, I, I stayed there at their house that night. It was kind of like I was, you know, hanging out with... With them, there there were there were three boys in that family, and they just you know kind of took me in as the fourth, and have treated me like their son. So did ever you since. stop talking to your family? Yeah, it, yeah, of course. One of the one of the uh, you know I think more known things about Jehovah's Witnesses is, that is when you leave, you often get excommunicated, like you're cut off. And so uh, I wasn't completely cut off. Um, basically, I, you know, I, I went through the exercise of explaining to the church that I, I was done. I didn't you know, want to be a member of it anymore. Um, and so everyone I knew, of course, all my family, uh, extended family and friends, they stopped talking to me. So I kind of started life over again. My parents still um, talked a little bit. There was you know, necessary business that needed to be dealt with occasionally, I guess. I think that they had sort of come around to the notion too that they will they're always my parents and that whatever difficulty they were facing uh in, in, in what the religion said that they you know they could justify spending time with me because as as my parents they're always responsible for my spiritual uh growth and therefore they should keep trying. And so we started to build a relationship again. Uh within within a short time, a couple of years probably, it started to get better. Uh, and um, yeah, and eventually got amazing again, frankly. Um, but uh, it was difficult those first couple of years. But my stubborn commitment was I was going to make this work because um, wow. I I just I you know I was born and raised in it. I'd never celebrated Christmas. I'd never celebrated my birthday. I'd never celebrated anything. We didn't do Halloween. We didn't do anything. I was standing in the hall for the opening services at school all my life. I never did the Lord's Prayer, you know. And I, you know, when you're when you're born into something, it's tough not to not to wonder if maybe you might be wrong with what you're doing. Did you always have a feeling that it wasn't for you? Nope. No, no. I, in fact, uh, in fact, for the longest time, I. I you know, I, I think in some ways I was probably seen as a bit of a star because one of the things, of course, Jehovah's Witnesses are known for is their, their door knocking on Saturday mornings. They're out knocking on doors and, and uh, trying to convince you to read the Watchtower and Awake magazine and, uh, and, and convince you that 
you know, they have the only true belief system. Uh, and, and of course, to, to train their members to do that, they have a pretty elaborate system called their Theocratic Ministry School. And so they meet what, Sunday mornings, right? And then they have like Tuesday night local Bible studies. This is what they used to do. This was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And on Thursday nights in Huntsville, they had this other session where everyone would come together. And, and, and every, I think every five weeks or so, you know, you'd get a turn to do your little spiel. Like you'd, you know, do a little five-minute talk in front of the whole congregation on some verse in the Bible, and you'd give a little, you know, spiel on, you know, introduction or closing. Maybe you'd talk a little bit more about it. And, and, and a, like an elder in the church would be there, and, uh, and they would be providing, you know, constructive criticism on how you could improve your ability. And it was, it was detailed. Everything from pausing to what they call word whiskers, when you say ums and ers and stuff like that, to hand gestures, to eye contact, to you know, posture, uh, use of language, making sure your words aren't you know, too fancy because people Sounds don't understand. Sounds very familiar. Yeah. What yeah. You, what it was, you it was incredible training. And I was very early on very good at it. Uh, and I, I remember as a kid, you know, I'm saying, well, you really don't have... Uh, much to crit criticize here. Uh, that was really good, you know. Well done. You were natural. So I was a natural at it, and I think they saw me as a bit of a of a, of a burgeoning star. But uh, um, I just I thought for sure there was more than what what was being offered. You know, you're 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 often known, and I see you this way, but I think the outside too, Mr. Congeniality, right? Like even when I watch you interact with other parties, you try to find that common ground, and yeah. so I I would really assume that that experience. Um, really shaped your tolerance level of that there is there is more than one way to yeah. to achieve something. Yeah, I would say that 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 time in my life was certainly remarkably formative, um, and probably helped to inform my experience as a municipal councillor, which is which is a consensus building model. There's no shortage of nastiness in municipal politics, but it's not the same as the partisan nature of you know federal and provincial politics. Um, and so, you know, I've always tried to find that common ground mm -hmm. because, um, I, you know, I believe that you know all people are inherently good for the most people, for the most part, and and that we all want the best for our community. But there are, you know, different opinions on how to get there, and we can disagree without being disagreeable, and we can try to find the common ground that that makes our community better. Uh, and I th I've always felt that way, um, and I and I guess it's been you know, formed and, and maybe perfected, I guess, over the course of my, my many years in, in uh, municipal life. I got elected when I was 21 to my local town council and to the regional council. It's a two-tier system in Muskoka. So I was elected a town and district council at the age of 21. as the youngest ever. So that was just like two, three years ago? Yeah, just a couple yeah. of years ago. Uh, anyhow, and then I <laughs> worked my way up, uh, you know, did that a few times, was deputy mayor of Huntsville and mayor ultimately, and, uh, and then in 2019... Uh, did you yeah. always want to be a member of Parliament? Back then I did. I dreamed of it back then. Yeah, I think it's part of the, probably part of the reason why I left the, the, the Jehovah's Witness phase because I knew that you know, I was fascinated by this world and thought you know, there's an opportunity to make the world a better place there too. And so, but by the time I became mayor of Huntsville, uh, I had long given up on that idea, really. I wasn't thinking about it anymore because I loved being the mayor of Huntsville. I, it, honestly, I, I tell people regularly, I told people regularly, it was the best gig I've ever had. I just loved it. So why'd you stop doing it? I was really good at it too. Um, well, it, it, when when Tony Clement, who was our member of Parliament, uh, announced that he wasn't running again, I, I didn't see that coming. I kind of thought he'd be around for a while longer, and so I, you know, I just was very focused on being the mayor. And it, and it was, you know, some fairly wise people that I, 
you know, I, I went to school with their kids, of course, but I served on council with them, you know, 25 years before that. A lot of them started to call me and they said, listen, you got to run. And I went, oh, I don't know, I love being the mayor. And they, if you don't run now, you know, the, the pattern in Perry's Island, Muskoka has been we tend to keep our members of Parliament for about 15 to 20 years. And they said, well, you're 44, whatever you are, 45, you know, do you want to wait for 20 more years before you get a chance to do this? Why conservative? I've always, I've always believed in, con in, the, in, the, in the very core principles of conservatism that, that, uh, it is, that, that it is about equality of opportunity and that government is not all things to all people, but it is the place where nobody gets left behind. And that, and that, and that providing that equal playing field for, for equal opportunity and that where your hard work pays off uh, and that the government largely stays out of your way uh, if, if, we, if we need to support those who can't help themselves, we do. But otherwise, get out of the way. Hmm. I've always believed in smaller government. I've always believed that, um, you know, uh, Canadians are, are far better at creating wealth and opportunity than some government bureaucracy. Um, and, uh, and that we're always trying to strike that right balance. And I feel right now that we do not have that right balance. We do so, not have that balance yeah. at all. Why, why run for a leader? Well, I ran for leader in part because of my frustration with the political discourse here in Ottawa. And this is one of the other things I remember talking to you about mm -hmm. early on, uh, and, and you were expressing to me your frustration at how this place operates, or doesn't in some cases. And that was certainly my experience early on, too. I, I was very frustrated early on here when it, when it appeared that, you know, too many members of Parliament appeared to be more interested in their own, you know, Twitter feed than actually mm -hmm. getting something done. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, and, and a full disclosure, I, uh, that, that first year of being a member of Parliament, there are many, many times where I was, uh, I, I was worried that I made a mistake. It's very hard. You were, you were very good with me. You well, were, I, you, I would here. call you, right? Because it, it is a challenge. And yeah. I think if you've come from anywhere where you, where you want to get things done or you're a yeah. doer, yeah. It's so slow here. It is such a slow, yeah. slow pace. And it's hard to see the solutions when it's just like you're in like mud. Yeah. And uh, you, were, you were really good with me about a lot of that and just saying, you know, you, you do got to take it slow and steady. And it, the day, it's a, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. It's a very big roller coaster. Well, and you find, that you find those spots too as a member of parliament. I mean, in many ways as a member of parliament, uh, it does feel frustrating because you're a legislator. You're not a. Mm -hmm. You're not an executive member. You're not a. You know, it's 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 not a it's not a position of action, but it can be. And I've always believed that public service is about having a positive impact. I mean, you can have a positive impact in a really big, broad way. Mm -hmm. You know, like some of the more famous prime ministers we've had have have done, maybe. Mm -hmm. But as a member of parliament, we have immense privilege and opportunity and access that, you know we can have a lot of impact on individual lives every day just by just by making a little difference i and you have to remember that it's yeah. the mountain right yeah. so uh, well, i love rocky right one punch <laughs> yeah. one step one punch one round at That's a time right, right? cuz if right. you think about the big thing it's like oh yeah. my gosh it swallows you a lot of people think oh my gosh so pierre and and scott run against each other they have these heated debates how are they ever going to coexist after this leadership <laughs> i mean i know because i see it and i yeah, see how it works but but how is it for you oh it's been it's been great actually so uh, you know I, I think what what often people don't realize is that is that when the cameras are off things generally tend to be a little more 
subdued. And and you may have noticed during that leadership race that you know I never once attacked Pierre, and Pierre certainly never attacked me either. Um, you know, we were always very cordial on camera and off camera. Mm -hmm. We would have many opportunities as you're crisscrossing the country to chat. And um, I, you know, even before the leadership race began, my office is uh, next door to Pierre's in in the Confederation mm -hmm. Building, and so you know, we we've gotten to know each other. And uh, and I can tell you that he's. Uh, He's, a, he's actually a uh, remarkably well-read and researched human being. He's probably the most scheduled man I've ever met in my life. He is disciplined. Um, and, and what I've learned most about him, you know, since that leadership race and that process of going through that experience together and all across this country and him being literally everywhere, mm -hmm. uh, is that he's an incredibly empathetic human being. And that he, he, he feels very personally the pain that Canadians have shared with him and, and literally hundreds of thousands of people have felt that with him and uh, and that he and he cares it's not just uh, not just about the clips in the House of Commons mm -hmm. uh, and we and we have actually fairly similar approaches and and when when the leadership race was over and he was announced the the, the victor uh, he reached out to me almost instantly within a day and said thank you for the campaign you ran I'm, I'm impressed with it you were nothing but a gentleman you had some great policy ideas your videos were amazing on housing we were in lockstep on policy mm -hmm. and he said by the way uh, as a former mayor and municipal councillor and you know chair of planning and real estate agent you understand the process of development approvals better than i probably ever will um, and i said well i'd like to really work on that file and, and ultimately he you know he did say i'd like you there too because you actually know what you're talking about. And we need to be not just criticizing a government that has failed abjectly. We need to help solve the problem because we're in a crisis here. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, we don't have a ton of time left, but I want to say this. What people see, I'm glad you said all of that. Uh, Pierre's remarkable at uniting. I've never, like, I, it feels different, you know, and I think yeah. he's, a, he's a really great, great uniter. But to your point about the housing, um, Scott, you we have shared many conversations and this is the foundation and it is the biggest crisis we have across our country and you know the auditor general report for those who who know what that is it's it's, it's by the government but it is scathing billions and billions of dollars and they have no yeah. idea if they're fixing the problem or not yeah. they have no accountability there's nothing and it is it's the same thing across the board so if you could in, in two minutes what do you think we need to do for housing well, I, I'm going to speak at length about this uh, later in the House. But what we need to do for housing is, 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 is we need all levels of government literally to come together and work together on this. And we need the private sector in this space as well. Agreed. We require literally trillions of dollars of investment in the housing sector in this country. And I don't care where you are in the ideological spectrum. If you believe government should own all housing or otherwise, Government has a role to play, but it can't be the only answer. We have to have the private sector because the government doesn't have the money, can't even borrow that kind of money to solve this housing Government's crisis. Government's money is your money, yeah, by exactly. the way. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. And so, and so it, is, it is absolutely 1,000% uh, the front lines of this crisis mm -hmm. are municipalities and their political masters, the provinces. Uh, and so it is criminal that, you know, you, ha you have in many cities in this country, uh, you know, unnecessary delays for really nothing more than petty you know local politics mm -hmm. uh, getting you know developments approved that make a lot of sense um, you know but but the provinces have an ability to basically demand that the cities get off their butts and get something done 
Uh, and I think it's important for us as Conservatives to be pointing that out. Pierre did a great job of that during the leadership race, and we're going to continue doing that. Mm -hmm. But the federal government needs to be looking at ways that it can make the CMHC work more effectively. So this is the other real telling thing. The, province, the, the National Housing Strategy announced 17 years ago, or in 2017, was supposed to be $70 billion. Well, it was really only about $6.8 billion. You're like, well, okay, well, at least it was that. But the CMHC is supposed to spend that money. They haven't even spent half of their allocation. And on top of that, they have no idea whether it's making any difference they or not. They have no idea. And so what you have is you have a federal government that really has a, has a tremendous capacity to grease the skids on this and to help and make things happen. And they literally have a policy where they throw money into the air and hope it sticks somewhere. In every, and then don't in, know if it actually did or not. In every file. And so this is the true crime of this government as far as I'm concerned. You see a prime minister that looks all empathetic into the camera and tells you how much he cares. And then he announces billions and billions of dollars. He's going to borrow money, billions of dollars. And then he just doesn't deliver. And I don't think there's anything, anything in public life that is more disgusting than pretending to care, but not really caring. What he said. Okay, fun, fun questions now from the readers. Okay, let's see. Beer or wine? Uh, uh, used to be beer, more wine now. Last book you read? The last book I read? Oh, it was, it's, I don't even know. <laughs> I think that question is hilarious. I read reports now all the time. <laughs> That's what I'm like, no problem. So, I don't, I, I don't so I, let me say this, I don't, I don't tend to read a lot of fiction. I'm one of those people that reads an awful lot of books about, about the topics that I'm into. But probably the last great piece of fiction I read would be a, probably John Irving's latest book. I'm a huge John Irving fan. This is an interesting question. What would your first girlfriend or first boyfriend say about you? Well, uh, girlfriend said, uh, what would she say? We could probably call her up and ask her. Um, what would she say about me? That I was probably, I'm a lot of fun. That you're a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the most important value to defend for you in politics? Integrity. When you want to relax, what do you do? Uh, it, it depends on the circumstance. Sometimes I'll just sit at the piano with a scotch and play for about an hour. He does play. I, you do play the piano sometimes, too. I forgot about sometimes, that. Sometimes I'll work in my gardens. And in the winter, I, I do what I call tractor therapy. I have a tractor because I have a long laneway and I snow blow my own lane. And, and any time on my tractor, I call it tractor therapy. So I do that too. That is a very good one. And your greatest pride as an MP? Uh, I would say it's probably my leadership campaign. I'm immensely proud of what we did. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the ideas we proposed, the way we did it, uh, and, uh, and I'll, I'm all, I'll always be very proud of what we did. It's a very big feat what you did. Thank you. Um, exhausting, and to talk to that many people, and you really got to listen to people. What would you say was the number one thing people were concerned about? Because people are suffering. Canadians are suffering. Yeah, Canadians are... I, I, the number one thing is the cost of living in this country. Like it's, it's uh, it, whether it's housing, whether it's heating your home, whether it's, you know, trying to put food on the table. Um, I would say that's the number one issue that Canadians are dealing with right now, and they're struggling. And they, and you know, they're they're tired of the, the sort of the, the the talk that goes on in Ottawa. They want you know real solutions. But I, I guess the other thing that I that I loved about what I heard from Canadians is that despite you know, what seems to be pretty divisive times in this country, mm -hmm. um, there is in fact more that unites us than divides us. And, and it's time for our politicians to speak in that way as well. 
not focus on the divisions, not try to exacerbate, you know, and, and pretend that, you know, when we're campaigning in downtown Toronto, the people in Alberta don't care about the future of this planet. Mm -hmm. And pretend in Alberta that, you know, you know, the people of Toronto, you know, all they care about is health care. You know, I think, like, you know, there's, there is more that unites us. And we need to, we need to celebrate those, those things that do unite us and bring us together. Uh, and I believe that that's what the Conservative Party will do best in this country, and, and that's what Pierre wants to do. He wants to bring us together and celebrate all that is great about this country mm -hmm. uh, and just make it even better. He said a funny thing today. We did a podcast back-to-back -to -back today, and he said, if I was to start a new party, the, the interviewer had asked him a question, and I, just, I thought this was hilarious. Because if I was to start a new party tomorrow, I'd name it the Mind Your Own Business Party. <laughs> like 100%. Like it was like so that. good. Housing is, without a doubt, uh, one of the biggest issues, especially in my riding of Peterborough Kawartha. Yeah. I really look forward to working further with, with Scott on this because I think we are both driven to find the solutions that we need yeah. and the accountability and transparency we need because this crisis, it is... Uh, I've never seen homelessness yeah. at the rate we've seen it right now. So Scott Aitchison, Member of Parliament, Perry Sound, Muskoka, Shadow Minister for Housing. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for, Thanks for watching, guys.